This is an ABC podcast. Hello, Kirsty Melville here, and welcome to the History Listen. Penn International was the first human rights organisation in the 20th century, and this month it's 100 years old. Penn is an acronym. Originally, it stood for poets, essayists, novelists. But now its meaning is broadened to embrace writers of any form of literature, including playwrights, editors, journalists, historians, and songwriters. Over the last century, Penn members in over 100 countries around the world have been standing up for freedom of expression. And in some of those countries, there are writers who could be dead or still in prison if it wasn't for Penn. And it all began in 1921 with the vision of one woman in London. But to tell us that story, we're joined by writer, novelist and patron of Penn Melbourne, Arnold Zabel. My involvement with Penn began in the suburbs of Melbourne. You might know my novel Café Scheherazade about a St Kilda cafe. It came about because, well, I like to spend a lot of time in cafes. Not only for the coffee, mind you, but for the humanity and the conversation. This passion for the joys of expression is one of the reasons I'm active with Penn and have been for 33 years. I love the idea that literature knows no frontiers, which is the very first sentence of the Penn Charter. The talk in and around Café Scheherazade was a Jewish version of the European Parliament. It crossed many frontiers. Everything was discussed, debated and argued about in a dozen different languages. So writing is to me one of the most glorious forms of of social and political change. So when people say you mustn't write about that, I get very, very concerned. And that's really the heart of it, isn't it? That literature knows no borders and we stand with people who are unafraid. It places deep in our hands that responsibility to act. You don't have freedom of expression, you don't have literature, you don't have films, you can't have a democracy, you, you can't have literacy. I mean, it's, it's at the core of everything. But the Penn story doesn't begin here in Melbourne. It begins in London with a writer called Catherine Amy Dawson Scott. She was a feminist, a pacifist and an internationalist. She dreamed of a writer's centre where women as well as men could meet because at that time, no such club existed. She wanted it to be international, so that membership of one club meant membership of all. And that's what makes Penn unique. It's a grassroots organisation that has spread all over the world and currently has over 40,000 members. My name is Rachel Potter. I am a professor of modern literature at the University of East Anglia. And I have been researching the Penn organisation for many years. Rachel says her book on Penn's history led her to the archive boxes, including some in Texas that had never been opened before. And it all starts with Catherine Dawson Scott and fellow writer John Galsworthy. 
Other founding members were Rebecca West, Mason Clare, Radcliffe Hall, Vera Britton, Violet Hunt, Bertrand Russell and H.G. Wells. So as you can see, it had a strong feminist membership from the very start. Um, it was funded by subscription of five shillings a year. So it was an independent organisation. And from the start, it had an international committee, which was uh, dedicated to an expansionist spirit of what they called international friendliness through encounters with writers from other cultures and traditions. John Goldsworthy was important for Penn because he encouraged other significant writers to join. Authors such as H.G. Wells, W.B. Yeats, Conrad, Frost and Gorky. But he was also instrumental in the opening of pen centres in Europe and in the US. Places like Mexico City in 1921 and Milan, Toronto and Tel Aviv in 1925, Buenos Aires in 1929, Beijing in 1930, Baghdad and Bombay in 1933, Cairo in 1934 and Tokyo in 1936 and Australia, with the founding of Sydney Penn in 1931. But as the 1930s rolled on, and the prospect of another great war grew closer, Penn took on a new president, and a new focus. In 1931, it issued what it called an appeal to all governments, which was an appeal in support of writers in prison. And that was aimed specifically to intervene in the League of Nations World Disarmament Conference, which took place in 1932. But the real crisis came in 1933. With Hitler's rise to power, Berlin Penn had been basically taken over by Nazi members in the spring of 1933. And they had refused to act when communist and Jewish writers were arrested or thrown out of Germany. They had effectively barred communist and Jewish writers from being in German pen. In addition to that, the mild-mannered Goldsworthy had died and the much more politically-minded H.G. Wells had taken over as international pen president. So there was a pen congress in Dubrovnik in the summer of 1933 and there was a ferocious argument and standoff about the situation in Germany. Basically, after this huge row with people storming out, the Berlin pen was effectively thrown out of the pen organisation. So in a way, international pen had sort of been forced right into the centre of politics. I grew up in post-war immigrant Melbourne. Among my mentors were Jewish activists who had been involved in the anti-Nazi resistance. They were also lovers of literature and the written word. For them, pre-war pen was a legendary writer's organisation. My father was a Yiddish poet, and there was even a Yiddish pen club, with branches in Warsaw, Vilna and New York, which was granted inclusion into Penn International back in 1927 a pen club based on the language of a people who did not have a specific national border. For that, I love both pen and Yiddish, and a world that cherishes linguistic diversity. In recent years, 
Penn's Translational and Linguistic Rights Committee has campaigned for the advancement of endangered languages, including indigenous languages. As writer, philosopher and past Penn president John Ralston Saul says, many languages are in danger. Many are actually disappearing. The loss of one's language and through that loss, much of one's culture can be seen as the ultimate removal of freedom of expression. And these words are echoed in the Penn Charter, which is being read here by another past Penn president, Oscar award-winning scriptwriter Ronald Howard. Everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive and impart information and ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers. At any one time, there are almost 1,000 people on Penn's case list of writers who are in prison, exile, harassed, or whose life is in danger for the peaceful pursuit of their craft. It's a huge challenge. As John Ralston Saul says... Really what I want to do is do something which sounds self-evident, which is to shove uh, freedom of expression to the place where it belongs, which is at the core of the public debate. Because the way it works now is, you know, we talk about trade, we talk about taxes on, you know, mining companies, we talk about every bloody thing. And but you only talk about culture when there's nothing else to talk about in terms of public power. And they, th they still think of it as entertainment on the side when they're for the bored middle class. And, uh, and they talk about freedom of expression pretty well never even though everything depends on it. So, so it's my job in a way to uh, use whatever shoving talents I've got to put freedom of expression where it belongs, right at the center of the public debate. Another notable Canadian writer and former Penn Vice President is Margaret Atwood. Dearly by Margaret Atwood, read for you by the author. Part one. Late poems. Margaret Atwood's most recent poetry collection, Dearly, begins with this poem about poems. These are the late poems. Most poems are late, of course. Too late, like a letter sent by a sailor that arrives after he's drowned. And so it can be with the countless letters that PIN members have written to imprisoned writers over the years. Many get through, but some, tragically, like the poems that Atwood writes of so beautifully here, arrive too late. The poem washes ashore like flotsam. It's at the heart of the activism, um, and it can also make you feel a bit hopeless, I think, sometimes that, you know, you, you, you try to make things happen and, and then and then it doesn't. One of the most moving bits of the archive was the case of Ken Sarawiwa, who was imprisoned by the Nigerian authorities and put to death in 1995. But Penn campaigned really hard on his behalf. And then there are these letters that he sent that were smuggled out of jail. And it, it's kind of interesting, this bit, because... Even for those people who the campaign hasn't succeeded in releasing them from jail, so many prisoners have said 
that Penn's letters of support to them have meant so much to them. And that was true of Ken Sarawira. So he speaks so movingly about why those sort of letters of solidarity meant so much to him in Penn, even although it didn't succeed in getting him freed. One of these letters was written on a scrap of paper addressed to Penn. It was typed out and faxed to Penn headquarters in London. It was a short and simple note. Thanks for the trouble you and International Penn have taken on my behalf. I am in good spirits and am confident that with your support, I'll survive my travails. Ken Sarawiwa. By October of that year, Ken Sarawiwa was on hunger strike and by the end of the year, he was dead. Writing has always been at the heart of Penn. The full gamut of writing, from fiction to non-fiction, from essaying to blogging, anything that can bring new ideas into being and keep human rights on the public agenda. Writing done by Penn members over the years helped the Universal Declaration of Human Rights find its language. And it also influenced organisations like the UN, UNESCO, UNICEF and Amnesty International who consulted Penn's charter in order to write their own. In 1960, Penn launched its Writers in Prison Committee, and this is where letter writing comes in. Letters from authors and the literary community are sent to the prison where the writer is incarcerated. This, combined with letters to the authorities pleading for just treatment, are a way of one writer saying to a persecuted writer, you are not alone. Now Penn has over 140 centres in 100 countries across the globe. And in linking the two dates together, the start of Penn in 1921 and the start of the Writers in Prison Committee in 1960, John Rawlson Saul posted this on the Penn International website. International Pen was created out International of Pen was created out of the scars of World War I to bring societies together through their literature. Constant violence against writers quickly forced us to realize that free speech and literature are one and the same thing. Pen is the foremost and oldest freedom of expression organization in the world. And since 1960, the Writers in Prison Committee has set the standard around the world for defending not just the right of writers, but the free speech of everyone. The most recent chair of the Writers in Prison Committee is Indian author Salil Tripadi. He too is inspired by this practice. Even so, he says, not all the letters work. Some, however, are powerful. In Arundhati Roy's letter to Shahidul Alam, a photojournalist who was in jail in Dhaka, was certainly one of those. Power is always the emotional one and the moral one. I mean, the very fact that when Shahidul Alam is in jail and we get Arundhati Roy to write a letter for him and he writes back to her, 
I'm sure that has an impact on uh, the Prime Minister of Bangladesh because Bengalis like to take themselves very seriously when it comes to writers and literature and art. I mean, they worship Tagore, they worship Nazrul Islam and other writers like that. And when Shahidul Alam wrote back to Arundhati, the letter was printed in newspapers around the world. The Guardian, Saturday the 12th of January 2019. Dearest Arundhati, it was a letter, it was a letter I read and reread long before it appeared before my eyes. It was through layers of metal bars that I strained to listen to my partner Rehnema's words. The noise made by us screaming prisoners, straining to hear and be heard, was akin to a crowded stadium or a fire siren. I faintly heard Arundhati, letter. I had been incarcerated for just over a hundred days. A hundred days since I'd slept on my own bed, fed my fish, cycled down the streets of Dhaka. A hundred days since I'd pressed my shutter as I searched for that elusive light. These words were the nourishment I needed. The case still hangs over my head and the threat of bail being withdrawn is a threat they hope will silence my tongue, my pen, and my camera. But the ink in our pens still runs. The keyboards still clatter. We will have democracy. We will have social equality. We will win back this land. I'll see you in Dhaka. A humongous hug awaits. Love, Shahidul. So yes, that does matter. I mean, one of the things that I've always remembered is that there was a writer in Cameroon. I mean, he's still around. I mean, Emo Mio Messi. And when he was in jail, Ale Mabanko, I'm pronouncing it very badly, and my apologies for that, who's um, an African descent writer, but French national, he wrote him a letter and he said words that resonate to me. He basically wrote in this letter to Emo that when a writer is taken into jail, the jailers don't know that it's not just the writer who's in jail, but all his readers and well-wishers are also in jail. And we will shout and, you know, scream and make sure that you get out. And that does matter because Emo Mayomisi was with us at one of the pen meetings after he was freed. And he said that the jailer actually asked him that you must be important. You're getting all these letters. Why? How do I stop these letters? And he said, let me out. Penn International's first woman president is Mexican-American writer Jennifer Clement. She took on the role in 2015. And since then, she has created the Women's Manifesto and the Democracy of the Imagination Manifesto. The thing that I always say is that it's such a privilege to be in Penn because you're with the bravest people in the world. I mean, these are people who risk everything. They're, they're their livelihood, their homeland, very often their families, their own lives to tell the truth. And if you don't know the truth, you can't act. Jennifer Clement was also able, with the help of former Penn International President John Rolson Saul, to change the law in Mexico so that the killing of journalists became a federal crime. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but now it's against the law. 
It's all part of upholding that precious ideal that literature knows no frontiers. This is very important to see uh, literature as a universal human experience and, and one that can bring empathy. I think it is important to bring this up maybe a little bit with more detail because while there are many organizations that help advocate for journalists who, who are jailed or, or murdered or in peril, there are no organizations that really see literature and storytelling as a force that can create personal change and uh, change in society. So Penn is very interested in the way that literature and storytelling can transform lives and societies. And of course, there are excellent examples of this. In the English language, of course, there's Oliver Twist, that novel changed child labor laws, and we don't remember any journalism of that time. The other thing in the charter is very important is to combat all hatreds and also uh, to work against a press that is full of lies and harm in any way. So it's really a fellowship of friendship and goodwill, uh, which was started by Dawson Scott in 1921 in London after the First World War, which was a recognition that writers themselves had helped to create xenophobias and hatreds. And what if there were a global network of writers in communication? Could there be greater peace in the world? As Penn turns 100 and celebrates its birthday, it's natural for us to think about who we are and what we do. In some ways, I wish Penn didn't even have to exist, but unfortunately, it is needed now more than ever. Yet, inevitably, it's always both failed and succeeded in doing what it does. If you think that there's currently a list of nearly 1,000 writers in prison or in danger, plus the fact that 200 writers are being killed every year, it's a very difficult challenge for a group of volunteers to save them all. Right since the beginning, there's been a kind of random success rate with some writers being freed and others being killed. One of those killed was Russian writer Anna Politkovskaya. She knew she was in danger, and when she came to Australia, she spoke through a translator about how she'd been poisoned. But that didn't stop her speaking out against Vladimir Putin. I think Putin is exactly what he is according to his past. I don't think he managed to liberate himself from his past, which is, in my opinion, absolutely Soviet. It's incredible to think of citizens having to be careful of what they eat and drink. Do you fear for your life? I've overstepped that boundary when a person is afraid for his or her life every day. Of course, of course I'm afraid, but uh, I need to do what I have to do. Then, four months later, this happened. 
At the building in Moscow where Anna Politkovskaya lived, mourners laid flowers for the award-winning journalist. After she was shot dead just two days before she was to publish a story about torture and abductions in the Russian Republic of Chechnya. I listened to her only two days ago and I prayed, God protect her for us. I find it very painful. She did a lot for Russia, really a lot. I wish God gave us more such journalists. That would make life in Russia more democratic, easier and much more fair. Whenever there's a death of a writer like Anna Politkovskaya, as members of Penn Melbourne, we feel it personally. Along with other Penn centres worldwide, we campaigned for her safety. After she was killed, we spontaneously met in a cafe in Carlton. We ate together and we read from her words. It was a moving evening. It reminds me of a John Ralston Saul story about how, in his time as president, he once had five minutes to save someone's life. It's a story he told Rachel Potter because it sums up something important about the nature of Penn. He told a story about all of the many, many times he would go along and try to get a writer released from prison. And of course, it always fails. And all of the thousands and thousands of declarations and letters of protest that writers have signed and written over the last 100 years, trying to get people released from prison, and they've all failed. And then John tells this lovely story about this one time where he goes to an unnamed state and he was sat down and he suddenly realised that someone really rather important had entered the room. And the man basically said, right, tell me why I should release this guy from prison. And John was sitting there thinking, what I say in the next five minutes could really determine the fate of this individual in prison. And is sort of panic, thinking, I've got to say something good. I've got to say something good. Um, and he spoke. And then the guy just sat there, nodded, said, OK, yeah, I'll release him. Um, and, and obviously, this, it's, it's absurd, because what was it he said that made the difference? Would that be the right thing to say in another situation? Probably not. It's so random. It's sort of terrifyingly random. Um, and yet the fact that he did manage to get this guy released from prison is is uh, monumental. It's so important for that individual. And so one has to kind of keep trying. But yes, I think that that's a sort of, nu- in a nugget, it sort of tells you quite a lot about Penn's 100-year history. That's the history, the random history in some senses, but also the, it's partly why people continue to, to, to sign these letters and to try to get people released. Margaret Atwood's late poems ends with the sentiment that even if it's too late to dance, we can still sing. She writes, Turn up the light, sing on, sing on. And so, the work goes on. Happy birthday, Penn International. 
to literature, to life, the Chaim. Arnold Zabel, writer, novelist and Penn Melbourne patron, marking 100 years of Penn International. You've been listening to You Are Not Alone, part one. Next week, part two, the local story. I'm Kirsty Melville, and this is The History Listen. See you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.